Well, good morning, Cross Point. Welcome. Whether you're joining us online or here in person, I'm glad to have the chance to worship with you guys and dig into this topic of marriage today. So uh, today we're going to do something a little different. We've been in our series in Matthew. Uh, we're about to take a break. We're going to go into a series on the church. It's going to be a five-week series starting next weekend. Uh, but we had this weekend in between, and we thought, hey, let's drill down on marriage. It's been a while. Uh, marriage and family is something that we uh, value uh, highly. Uh, we want to take some time uh, to drill down. Marriage ministry is going to be kicking off this Wednesday night. Uh, and so we thought, hey, this would be a great opportunity to drill There with you guys. Yeah? Okay. Thought it was, was hoping it wasn't just me. Okay. Uh, sounds like they got it worked out. So, guys, a couple things I've been thinking about uh, in this time of COVID are these two terms, essential and non-essential, right? Uh, these are terms that a lot of us are starting to use in our daily vocabulary, have been using since COVID hit, uh, since lockdown orders were given and, and, and people were um, at, at home during the stay-at-home orders. Uh, we began to hear these terms, essential and non-essential. Some businesses were deemed essential and they were allowed to stay open, while other businesses were deemed non-essential and they were forced to close until further notice. Um, but we began to use that, those terms a lot. And, and we all know this, but it began to create some conflict in our culture, right? Because not everybody necessarily agreed on what was essential versus non-essential. Uh, but one, th one observation that I had in watching people during this time is whether essential or non-essential, people began to get really creative in how they defined what was essential in their own lives, right? I, I began to see uh, that during COVID, as jobs changed or were lost, or as, as school closed and kids' schedules were, cha were changed, uh, they were staying at home, and uh, that families began to get really creative, began to adjust invest and what they began to deem was most essential in their lives, right? And something I found amazing during this time is that as I observed our culture, as I observed people online and even in our church, I saw, hey, there was a tremendous amount of energy that was put forth towards readjusting jobs and kids' schedules while a lot of marriages began to really struggle, right? And I think the, one of the reasons for that is because uh, we often take our marriages for granted. We often forget that investing in our marriage is essential. And so I know for many of you guys, uh, this, this has been your case, right? I know for many of you, you've, during COVID, you would define navigating family relationships as maybe interesting, right? Uh, I know for others, uh, you would define navigating your marriage during COVID as challenging, right? And so that's one of the reasons we wanted to drill down today and talk about Marriage, guys. I know that for Elizabeth and I, uh, we experienced a lot of that during the season of COVID. Uh, schedule changes happened, uh, routine and structure went out the window, and we do really well with routine and structure. And so, navigating this time for us was extremely challenging, right? Uh, a lot of you guys experienced this. So, today we want to talk about why investing in your marriage uh, is essential. Okay, we're going to talk about how, according to God's word, how investing in your marriage, in fact, is the most essential investment you can make above any other human relationship. Okay, that's going to be my argument today, to, that investing in your marriage above all other human relationships is essential. Okay, and the way that I want to do that is I want to encourage you today to reset the mission of your marriage. We're going to talk about some ways to help, to help accomplish that. 
And then I want to talk about how to re-engage your spouse as the most important, uh, essential investment of any other human relationship that you can make. Okay? So let me just say this. If you are married today, there's, I, hope, I hope there's going to be some uh, appropriate and immediate uh, application points for you today. Okay? If you are a young person or maybe a single person and you hope to be married someday, then my hope uh, is that today might help kind of establish a framework for you to move into or to think and pray through uh, if, that, if God has marriage in your future. And also, guys, I just want to acknowledge that if you were here and, uh, and you've gone through a divorce or uh, you've, been, you've been battered and bruised a little bit in a past relationship, uh, not to tune me out, but rather to trust that God has you here for a reason and trust that uh, he may have some truths that he wants to communicate to you that you can take with you as you leave today and begin to implement those into your life as you see what God has in store for your future. Okay? Regardless of what we're talking about at Crosspoint, we always want to begin with God's word. Most of the time, we're preaching expository. We're just taking a text and picking it apart. Today's going to be a little bit more topical as we focus on this topic of marriage, and it's a broad topic, but we still want to start with the text. And, and so with this in mind, I just thought, hey, we've been in the gospel of Matthew. If you've been here with us for a while, then you know that Matthew's gospel is focused a lot on, on God's kingdom and advancing God's kingdom. Right? And so I thought, man, what a great place to begin with. Because uh, even if we're not familiar with that, even if you're here for the first time and you haven't been in this Matthew study with us, you're likely familiar even with the Lord's Prayer, right? where Jesus instructs his people to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. Right? Those are, uh, that's the mindset that a lot of us understand. A lot of us may even live out in our day-to-day as it relates to other relationships, but it's also a mindset that a lot of us tend to forget as it relates to our marriage because in our marriage, a lot of times, we're more, more focused on building our own kingdom than we are in building the kingdom of God, advancing the kingdom of God. And so with this in mind, uh, I just want to remind us, guys, that investing and, and building in our marriage is the most essential uh, investment we can make. Okay? Uh, because when we, all of this, uh, with marriage in mind, uh, reminds us that, that our marriages, the purpose of our marriages, I should say, is to build and advance the kingdom of God. So I want to first encourage us with this point to reset our mission for marriage, to reset our mission for marriage. Matthew twenty two thirty seven 37 is a verse a lot of you guys are probably familiar with. It says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, a lot of us know this passage, but let me just say it this way, guys. When we love God first and when we love our neighbor second, it brings glory to God and it advances his kingdom. Okay, a lot of us know this, a lot of us practice this in our daily mission, but I wonder how often we see our spouses as our closest neighbor. I wonder how often we see our spouses in this way. Guys, guess what? Our spouses are our closest neighbor, okay? And on top of this, the reality is that marriage by God's design, it's a visible display of the gospel itself. In the creation account of Genesis, God created Adam outside of the garden. He puts him in the garden and he gives him this job of naming all the animals. And remember, this is a sinless environment because sin hadn't come in yet. And he just realizes, hey, there's not another one like me. 
And so God says, hey, it's not good that man shall be alone. I'm going to create a helper that's fit for him. And so he creates Eve and he, he puts them in the garden together and he officiates the very first wedding ceremony in the Garden of Eden. Uh, and he says in Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. Guys, if you're married, this statement alone is enough to qualify marriage as your most important human relationship. But this statement's not isolated to Genesis. Paul actually quotes this verse, Genesis 2.24 verbatim in Ephesians 5. And he does so in the context of marriage. And immediately after that quote, uh, he says in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 32, this mystery is profound, talking about marriage, but I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So what this means, guys, is from the very beginning, by God's design, marriage was intended to be a visible display of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what Paul also tells us in Ephesians is that when a husband loves his wife like Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her as he sacrifices his own needs for the sake of his bride, and when the bride comes alongside her husband in, in submission to this mission that God has given him, that this is a picture of the gospel. Guys, when we understand this, that the purpose of marriage is to display the gospel, it gives us a mission for our marriage, doesn't it? It actually gives some meaning to this thing. It's to make the gospel visible. That's the mission, which brings glory to God and advances the kingdom of God. Guys, so, so this is the reason God created marriage. This is the mission for your marriage. And this is where I want to encourage you to hit reset today because, guys, so many of us lose sight of this mission all of the time, right? I mean, believe me, I know how difficult this can be. I know that for a lot of us in this room, not only are we not thinking about expanding the kingdom of God through our marriage, but we're just thinking about how to survive the day. We're just thinking about sometimes in our marriage how to survive uh, living in the same house with such an incredible sinner, right? And we forget that marriage actually has this purpose uh, of expanding the kingdom of God, of giving, making the gospel visible, okay? And so because I understand how difficult this can be, I want to encourage us not only to reset our mission, but also to reset our expectations. Reset our expectations. Guys, over the years, I've had the chance to meet with a number of uh, pre-married couples and do premarital counseling, and I, I enjoy that. I love meeting with young couples as they're entering into that new season of life. And something I like to do with pre-married couples is I like to take them through what I just kind of took you through real briefly, that, that the Genesis account, how God uh, created marriage for a purpose and how Paul reflects that in Ephesians 5 and how this comes together with marriage being a visible display of the gospel. And a lot of times you just see eyes open wide, like, gosh, I've never really realized that. And this is fun and this is exciting. And then, and then I ask them to do this little exercise. I'll say, hey, uh, give them each a, a piece of paper, or sometimes I just talk them through it. But hey, I'm going to give them each a piece of paper and say to the man, hey, I want you to write down three expectations that you have of your future spouse. And then I'll look at her and I'll say, I want you to write down three expectations that you have of your future spouse. And uh, this is fun, like I said, right? I mean, this is, this is the engagement period, so things are fun and exciting. Women often say things like, you know, I expect him to lead our family spiritually. I expect him to provide. I expect him to help me around the house. Um, you know, she's googly-eyed. It's fun. Uh, a lot of times her requests or her expectations are centered on some sort of a feeling of love. Uh, and to the man, I often say things like, 
uh, he'll say things like, I expect her to respect me. I expect her to uh, maybe help me in some specific way or support me in some specific interest. Uh, maybe I expect her to meet my needs in some way. So his requests always focus on some sort of respect, okay? Um, and then after they've read them off, smiling at each other, I ask him to just listen closely uh, as I ask him this question. What if he doesn't? What if she doesn't? What are you going to do? And, and then I read Romans 3.23, which is a verse that we read around here all the time, where uh, the scripture tells us that all fall short of the glory of God. And then I read Romans 5.8 that says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then I read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You guys know these probably. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no man may boast. And I just ask him, hey, based on these passages of Scripture, what expectation does Christ have on us in order for him to love us? That's that deer in the headlights look, right? I think None. Yeah, that's right. So what I want you to do is I want you to take up those pieces of paper that you just wrote on, and I want you to crumple them up, and I want you to throw them in the trash. Because what if she doesn't, and what if he doesn't? Guys, this always has a big impact on premarried couples, right? Because it's a, it's a reminder that we need to be really careful not to allow our expectations to move into conditions. But we do that with each other all the time, Right? When expectations become conditions, it's when we operate in the mindset of, hey, uh, if you perform your half of your duties, what you say you're going to do, then this is going to go well. But, but if you don't, then I'm out of this thing. Right? It's contractual. And we're kind of trained by, in this way by our culture as well because every time we sign contracts, guys, let's face it, we know somewhere in the fine print that there's a way out of it. Right? If it whether it's a lease or a a cable contract, even if there is such a thing anymore, right? It's, we know that, hey, somehow, some way, I could get out of this thing if that other part of the contractual party, if they don't perform their duties, I could get out of this thing, right? So we're trained in that way. Contractual marriages, guys, they're based on limited responsibility. But that's not God's design for marriage. A biblical kingdom-minded marriage is based on unlimited responsibility, Okay, in a kingdom-minded marriage, believers are called to give 100% to marriage, even if the other person is not. Why? Because that's what Christ did for us. He gave it all when we did not. Guys, in order for this to work, not only do we need to reset our mission and our expectations, but we need to reset our definition of love. Right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, verses 4 and 7, listen closely. We hear this, hear this a lot, but I want you to pay attention. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist upon its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Guys, that's a passage we hear a lot at weddings, and we should. It's a great illustration of the church is to love one another. And it speaks boldly, right? I mean, listen to that. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. But I want you to notice what it doesn't say. 
It doesn't say when you feel like it. Right? Guys, that's because love is not just an emotion. I mean, emotions are a wonderful value. They're, they're an added perk to this whole thing, but we know that emotions go up and they go down, right? That's why we, we always say that, hey, true love is a choice. It's a, it's a choice to be committed to one another, and it's a commitment to seek to know one another's needs and to do whatever is necessary to meet those needs, not based on how you feel, but based on a choice, right? Again, over the years, uh, I used to serve in a marriage ministry full-time, so I had the chance to do a lot of uh, weddings, and I really enjoyed that season of life and ministry. Uh, and as, even today, every time I get the chance to officiate a wedding, uh, I'll, I'll say this in the ceremony, right? I'll look at the man, and I'll go, hey, bro, I don't say bro in the ceremony, but hey, man, uh, as a man, you have a huge task ahead of you, right? As today, moving forward, you are accountable to love God first and lead and love your wife no matter how she responds to you. And you're called to forgive her when she lets you down. And then I look at her and I'll use her name and I'll say, hey, you're called to come alongside your husband in support of the mission that God has given him of leading and loving this family in a God-honoring way. You're called to respect him and you're also called to forgive him when he lets you down. And I say these words, hey, from this point on, you do not stay married because you feel love, but you choose to love because you've made the commitment to be married. And it's a reminder for them, and it's a reminder for everybody who's listening in that our feelings are they're real, but they're not very reliable. And so true love is a choice. Guys, that's unconditional love, and that's the kind of love that brings glory to God and advances the kingdom of God. And I always realize at this moment when I talk about something like this that some of you guys right now are thinking, hey, that all sounds really good, but you don't understand the situation I'm in, right? My, I mean, I would do these things if only my spouse would do, I mean, you fill in the blank, all right? Guys, if this is even part of your thinking, let me give you this word of encouragement. To live out your mission of bringing glory to God and advancing the kingdom you first need to realize that you are your biggest marriage problem. I know that's hard for some of you guys to hear, but you need to realize you are your biggest marital problem. I think it's so tempting to often think, hey, to look at your spouse and think, hey, if they would only do this, right, then this thing would go well. I would be happy. But what I want to encourage you to do today is to just clear steer, steer clear of that kind of thinking, right? And, and to think, hey, if I'm the only person I can control... How can I work on changing me? How can I work on being obedient to what God would have me do in my marriage? Right? One of the ways that we talk about this in our re-engaged marriage, marriage ministry is to picture uh, yourself standing inside of a circle. And sometimes we'll actually bring a hula hoop to kind of illustrate this and stand inside of it and go, hey, focus on the person standing inside the circle. Kind of imagine that circle's with you all the time and ask yourself that question. Right? How can I work on the person who's standing inside this circle? Because I'm the only person that I can control. That's what it makes us realize. So draw that circle around yourself and work on changing the person inside the circle. Here's some questions that we teach in Reengage. So some questions to ask yourself as you're standing inside of that circle. Number one, what must it be like to be married to me? Right? When we ask ourselves that question, it's, it's, the purpose is to generate empathy because we start to see maybe through our spouse's lens, of, hey, what must it be like to be married to me? 
right? Uh, maybe we might start to see our own selfishness, our own inability to love, our own inability or uh, slowness to forgive, um, maybe our own tendency to manipulate from time to time, right? Maybe, maybe we'll do that. Maybe it'll create some empathy there. Uh, the second question is, hey, have I put my spouse in a position of God? That's a question to ask yourself as you're standing inside that circle. A lot of us do this, right? Uh, we put our spouse in the place of some sort of a functional God in our life, and we look to them to meet all of our needs, to make us happy, uh, and to fill us or complete us in some way that they were never intended to do. Right? And something I think it's been shaping in our culture over the years has been uh, this movie called Jerry Maguire. You guys ever seen that movie? Some of you guys, I recently used this with a young pre-married couple that I was talking to and they had no idea what I was talking about. Uh, so it aged me a little bit. But uh, in this movie, Jerry Maguire, you might remember this real climatic scene where Tom Cruise looks over at Renee, whatever her last name is, I can't remember. And it's this yeah, climatic moment. And he's apologizing and he looks and he goes, hey, you complete me. You guys know this line? Oh, man, what a lie from the devil. What a lie from the devil. I mean, your spouse was never intended to complete you. Ever. As we have a Savior, his name is Jesus Christ, and only he can complete us, okay? Third question to ask yourself as you stand in that circle. Have I truly recognized my need for Jesus? Uh, Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. It says, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Guys, maybe, just maybe, when we realize our own depravity, when we realize the forgiveness that Christ has extended to us, maybe we'll begin to extend it to others as well. Right? A saying we use around here a lot is forgiven sinners are called to forgive sinners. Right? And we get that from Ephesians 4.32 where the scripture tells us to be kind to one another and tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And again, Here's that point when I give a message like this. I just know that some of you are going, yeah, Ryan, that sounds great. But man, you don't know what my spouse has done. My situation is so unique. Let me just say, guys, again, I've had the chance to meet with quite a few married couples over the years. It's been a long time since I've been surprised by anything unique. I'm disappointed often, but not often surprised at all. And the reason for that, guys, is because Satan's not very creative. It appears that he doesn't have to be. He can, keeps using the same bait over and over again, and we keep falling for it, Elizabeth and I included, right? It's just a lot of times somebody's starting to talk to me about how, the, how unique their situation is, and I, I say this just because I've sat with enough. I mean, you can start kind of filling in the blanks, like, oh, yeah, I've seen this before. Sounds a little different here, but that's basically the same thing, Right? 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us to be sober mindful, be watchful for our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Okay, we've talked about how the gospel is a visible display. I mean, marriage is a visible display of the gospel. So why do you think Satan wants to attack it so much? To destroy that, right? To destroy that image. And for those of us that think our situation may be so unique, let's read the rest of that verse. 
It says, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout this world. What? My situation is not that special? It's not so unique? No, it's not. Guys, Satan wants to destroy your marriage because it's a picture of the gospel. Okay? Um, Let's move on to the next point today, guys. I want to encourage you to re-engage with your spouse. I encourage you to re-engage with your spouse. Uh, This is why we're taking an entire Sunday to focus on marriage. This is why we have a ministry here called Re-Engage. It's because the reality is that our marriages easily fall down the list of what is essential. And and so I want to encourage you to re-engage with your spouse in the following ways. The first step is to renew your devotion to Christ. Renew your devotion to Christ. Guys, remember where we started today in Matthew 22, 37. Right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your soul, and all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. Yes. Are we really loving him with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind? Are we truly devoted to him? As the very best thing that we can do to improve our marriages is to devote ourselves daily to Christ and his word. In fact, if we're ever to live out a biblical marriage, this is where it starts in our daily devotion to Christ. Okay, so there's a lot of people in our church that can help with that. Uh, If you're struggling in that area, come talk to me or Lance or Kai or maybe even just the person sitting next to you. Definitely talk to your community group about how you can grow in your daily devotion to Christ. Second step in reengaging your spouse is confession. Okay, James 5.16 says that we're to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed. Because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Friends, let me just say this. If you have unconfessed sin in your life, it's going to hinder your marriage. If you have unconfessed sin in your marriage, it will most definitely hinder your marriage. I say this all the time. We say this all the time at Crosspoint, but sin grows in the dark and people don't. Marriages definitely don't. Hey, right now, some of you guys may have just been slapped, right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that there's some sin that you've held back that you have never confessed to your spouse. And know that that is going to always hinder your marriage unless you confess it. Satan would love to use that as a barrier, right? He doesn't want you to confess that. Okay, confession, guys, it can be done privately. It can be done in the presence of others. But confession is needed in order to move forward. Because for some of you guys, it can be as simple as confessing uh, that your priorities have been elsewhere and you need to recommit your devotion to Christ and your spouse. It can be that simple. For others, guys, uh, it may be something a a lot bigger than that, right? Uh, I know one friend of mine heard a message similar to this one time, and he heard somebody, me, (laughs) challenge this group of people to confess. And he had been holding his wife's hand, and he told me later, he said, I had to pull my hand away casually because I didn't want my wife to feel my, my hand shaking. And what he didn't know is that his wife was actually feeling the same thing, and she was glad that he'd removed his hand. And the Holy Spirit just can, began to convict him. And over weeks, uh, he began to think about what it would look like to confess and pray about what it would look like to confess. And ultimately, he did. He had confessed an affair, and ultimately, she had confessed in response and these guys brought it to their church. They brought it to community group. As these guys have been, their marriage has been better than it's ever been before. There was healing that was able to take place there because this confession took place. Right? So I don't know where you're at with that or maybe you're thinking or praying about this. And if you need some help with that, come talk to me. 
right? I'd love to have that conversation with you and help you in that, okay? The third step in re-engaging your spouse is to be intentional with one another. Here's a, just kind of a, a short reality check. Good marriages take so much more work and time than we think they should. So much more work and time than they think they should. Marriage involves two fallen and sinful people coming from two fallen and sinful backgrounds uh, where they're living in a fallen and sinful world. Of course they take more work than we think they should. It takes a lot of effort. The Bible says, hey, where you sow, you're going to reap. So uh, the only relationship that should come before your marriage is your relationship with Christ, period. Right? Marriage has to be in first place above all other human relationships. It doesn't work in any other way. It has to be in first place. It has to come before your work. It has to come before your kids. It has to come before your hobbies. It has to come before your friends. Right, I'll share this short story. I wasn't sure if I was going to. share it with a friend just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this happened just a few years back in my family where uh, I'm a guy that hates to be late. If I'm on time, I'm five minutes early. That's kind of how I am. Uh, and I had an appointment with a guy that was connecting with the church. I'd never really met him. I was supposed to meet him at a coffee shop back when we used to do that sort of stuff. And it was early in the morning, and guys, I was, I was running late, I was in a bad mood, and I treated my family horribly, treated my wife horribly, as I blew right past him out the front door, got in the car, and sped off to go meet this guy for a church meeting. And I got to the end of my neighborhood, and God just stopped me, right? And I just, James 4.14 came into my mind where I thought, man, I am not promised another day. My life is but a mist. And he was just like, Ryan, is that the way that you want your family to remember you? What if today's it? What if today's it? I just stopped. I turned around the car. You know what? I texted that guy I was supposed to meet. I said, hey, man, I'm running 15 minutes late. You know what he said? No problem. So I blew off my family to run to a guy. Yeah. So I get back, and guys, I just had to con- go back home and confess and repent of that. And what's sad is it's happened again since then, right? But if I could only remember every day that this might be the last one, how would that change my thinking, Right? Anyway, chasing a rabbit trail, what I'm trying to say is marriage has to come before our work, our kids, uh, our friends, our hobbies. Uh, Next step in reengaging our spouse is pursuing friendship with one another. This is the first thing to go for Elizabeth and I, right? We say all the time in marriage ministry that we get really good at hey, you conversations. Hey, did you do this? Hey, were you able to do that? Hey, did you pick this up today? Hey, you, hey, hey, hey. And in doing so, we can kind of begin to function in some sort of a foundation marriage where things are kind of okay and we're communicating okay and we're getting stuff done, but we're really just roommates, right? Friendship's the first thing to go for us. And this happened in the season of COVID for sure. When everything, uh, our schedules were, were thrown out the window, I started focusing on regrouping the church and what are we going to do here? My mind was so focused on this other stuff. Honestly, I didn't even show any care at all for what she was going through. Right? And then once I began to kind of get stuff back in order again, and I looked to her kind of wanting some attention again, right? she's kind of now focused on what she's got going on. And, and I'm going, hey, can't I get some attention around here too? Like it's ridiculous. And we just say, this is a pattern sometimes we'll fall into where we just have to look at each other and go, okay, friendship. Like when's the last time we sat down together and actually had a conversation about what's going on in each other's lives instead of just talking to each other about what we need to do to make things work? Okay, friendship is one of those things I would encourage you to really pursue with your spouse, to be intentional and creative in how to do that. Now that routine and structure is coming back into our world, we're trying to identify different 
periods of time throughout our week. And by the way, we look at our schedules ahead of time to go, hey, here's a little window of time. Here's a little window of time. Oh, one of the kids is gonna be here. We could use that time. Let's use that time to sit down and let's talk. What are we gonna talk about? Let's talk about this and this and this. Okay, because sometimes we need some coaching on what we're even gonna talk about because we, if we start losing that friendship after a period of time, we sit down and we start talking about everything we need to do. Right? So sometimes we take with us just some date night questions or something like that. And sometimes guys will look at me and go, man, that sounds so manufactured. Can't believe you would take some date night questions on a date. I go, me neither, man, but I need them. Right? I mean, I can Google a couple of date night questions. And Elizabeth sometimes will ask, we'll ask one question. And we'll end up having a conversation about something that we never would have talked about. And we learn things about each other that we never would have known had we not used that simple question. So for any of you guys that ever think, man, I don't need to manufacture some sort of a date night question, I would encourage you to do it, okay? I, I put a link to some marriage questions in our resources page this week. You can easily go grab that. All I did was do a Google search. You can do the same thing. Um, pursue friendship with one another. Guys, another reason this is so important is because it, it can be a dangerous thing when we give all of our attention to other people at work and then we just continue to give leftovers to our family. Right? That's one of those fill-in-the-blank moments for me where Satan's not too creative, where I start sitting down with a couple and I can hear, hey, yeah, man, I, my wife, my spouse just doesn't really hear me or connect with me anymore, and yeah, there's this, there's this person at work, and I let my guard down because she really listened to me. He really listened to me in a way that my spouse just hasn't in a long time, and I really felt a connection there, and I could just, hey, let me just stop you right there. Can I just tell you how I can fill in the blanks on the rest of this story? All right, this is because you have given your best energy to this person for a long time in your awake hours, and then you're drained at the end of the day, you come home, you give whatever energy you have left to your kids, then if you have anything left over at all, it goes to the spouse. Why do you think you all aren't connecting anymore? Let's reset that, okay? Pursue that friendship. Next step in reengaging your spouse is to pray with one another. Not gonna spend much time on this, wish I could. You guys, I've heard, I don't even know if the stat's true, but I'd like to believe it's true, but that the divorce rate for couples that pray together is 1%. And I've heard that from enough, enough sources. I do think it's true. Guys, there is a spiritual intimacy that happens when a husband and wife pray together. And I ask this question to, to married couples all the time. Hey, are you praying together? Yeah, we pray together at meals with the kids. Okay, but like when's the last time you took your wife's hand and, and like prayed with her out loud? Ah, it's, it's awkward. She giggles at me sometimes because it's awkward. Yeah, so what? You think she appreciates that spiritual leadership and you've taken some initiative to try leading her in that way? Well, I hope so, but she doesn't really ever tell me, so I just kind of stop. Well, do you need that affirmation in order to keep leading? Not, you shouldn't. I know that's nice. Keep doing it. Take her hand, pray with her. If it's awkward, move through the awkwardness. Ladies, avoid that temptation to giggle if your husband's awkward in that moment, right? Encourage him in that. How can we pray together and what are we praying about? Okay, so I don't want to talk much, talk a little more, more about than I intended to already. So, all right, next step of reengaging your spouse is to consistently see your investment in your marriage as essential. Okay, experience has taught me most of us like the idea of a good marriage more than we're actually willing to look, work for it. Okay, it, it takes time. Uh, a lot of us read books, a lot of us go to conferences, we like watching marriage stuff on right now media. Well, let me just tell you, friends, information doesn't seem to be the issue, right? If you want to do a Google search, you could find most of what I'm talking about today, right, on your phone. 
Like information doesn't seem to be the issue. What seems to be the issue is obedience. So a question I ask couples a lot is say, how is the way that you're handling your marriage any different from that of an atheist? Kind of stops people in their tracks sometimes. You've got the know-how, right? You've got, you've got the knowledge, you've got the information, you've been to the conferences, you've read the books, you've been sitting in, in church a long time, you've heard these marriage sermons, but the way you're operating, is it any different from somebody who doesn't believe? Sometimes that can just spur on that obedience conversation. Hey, let's, let's be doers of the word and not hearers only. Let's put this into practice. Guys, I hope what you've heard today is that God calls us as believers to live differently. Right? He has a higher standard of marriage for us as believers. Why? Because it's about building his kingdom, advancing his kingdom, making the gospel visible for others to see. And let me just tell you, it's not when it's, your marriage is perfect. Right? Some people go, hey, it's too late for me. My marriage is... is it's not like you're describing, Ryan, where, where I'm laying down my life and I'm sacrificing myself for my wife. My wife's glad, in glad submission to that, and we're in perfect unity and harmony. Guys, we fight, we argue. Guys, this is the kind of stuff we talk about and re-engage. And one of the things we make known is, hey, all couples fight and argue, right? But for believers, how do we do that? And how do we forgive in such a way that a non-believing world looks in and go, why would you do that? And that's where we have the opportunity to share that gospel truth that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so even in our brokenness, even in our mess that we've made in marriage, this thing called marriage can be used to advance the kingdom of God and to make that gospel visible. Okay, what I want to do is stop talking for a minute. And I want to invite uh, Brandon and Lindsay Getz to come up for just a few minutes, share a little bit about their experience with Reengage and why you might want to consider going through it. You guys, welcome these guys up here. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. So, I'm going to hand it over to you. Hi, I'm Brandon, and this is my wife, Lindsay, and we have three boys, Landon, Maverick, and Archer. And uh, me and Lindsay have done re-engage twice. And our first time was our first year of marriage, which I'm not even giving our story and I'm getting emotional. It was, our, it was a real rough year and uh, it was because of re-engage that we are able to stand here today, still married and talk to you about re-engage. And it wasn't, I was hesitant at first because of my past, but Liz, Lindsay was really adamant about it and I'm glad she, she was adamant about it and we went and it saved our marriage and not just because of re-engage itself but because what re-engage gives you the resources and the tools to show you back to the one who can save your marriage so, so Brandon and I met when I was just 20 years old and I had um, been married I had been divorced and I had a small child at the time um, Brandon had just got out of the Marines so we brought um, some unique experiences and a whole lot of bad habits and behaviors um, before we even got married so um, we know that the divorce rate in the US is uh, about 40 to 50 percent and it's not a whole lot lower for for Christian homes um, and it was certainly true in my life, and it was true in our upbringing. Um, if you add up the marriages just between both of our parents, it totals eight. So dysfunction and divorce was not new um, in our relationship and in our upbringing. So we had decided early on that we wanted to break 
that cycle of dysfunction and divorce and wanted to give a different picture to our children as they continue to grow. Um, if you've ever heard our story, you know that it is very messy. Um, it's also full of redemption and grace. And we were able, through reengage, able to talk about some really raw things, some things that we certainly have never talked about in a church setting. Um, and it, uh, it completely transformed the way that we deal with each other, the, will, the way we deal with um, even other, other relationships. Our children, we've been able to give our boys a different picture of what conflict and resolution looks like. Um, and maybe you can't relate. Maybe you are a marriage that thinks, you know, you're thriving and you're doing really great, but this is an opportunity. Um, if you're looking to, to grow as individuals and be intentional with your marriage, this is, this is what Reengage offers. Um, so if you've been on the fence about signing up for Reengage, I would just encourage you to just jump in. It is kind of a lengthy commitment, but ultimately it is a really short-term sacrifice for the long-term investment for your marriage and, and for your family. That's awesome. Guys, thank you for sharing. All right. Proud of y'all. Brandon, you married up, bro. Every time I hear Lindsay speak, I think I'm going to be carrying her books someday. Like, if she talks on adoption or marriage, I'm like, man, she can just articulate it so well. So these guys will actually be sharing their testimony night one, I think. Sometime, pretty soon anyway. Uh, Reengage starts this Wednesday. If you have any interest about signing up, please let me know. We have limited space available. There's only a few slots actually available. So uh, let me know as soon as you can. Guys, I hope you've been encouraged today. Uh, let me do this. Let me pray. And we'll move in a time where we partake in the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you for you. Uh, we thank you uh, that, God, you are in control of everything and everything comes with a purpose. And, God, through your providence, you created marriage to display your gospel. And so, God... Uh, my, my hope and my prayer is that we would leave here today uh, with a renewed uh, energy for the mission that you have given us in our marriage to uh, make the gospel visible uh, and, and have, hopefully have some helpful tools uh, to go and do that. And God, I just pray that, um, God, that couples leave here encouraged today, no matter where they are, and only you know, uh, and what's going on in their homes, and only you know. Uh, God, that they would be encouraged to take the next step towards pursuing oneness, to, to see their marriage as this essential uh, relationship uh, that they should invest in above all of the relationships, uh, not based on feeling, but based on, based on what you have done uh, through your gospel. We give you praise uh, for this time, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.